0: when white police officers tried to arrest him for selling untaxed cigarettes. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic
0: efficiencies, which means some more job
1: opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred as a clause. Money for nothing.
2: Good morning. It's Monday, 22nd of December and Christmas week. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Richard Harris. It's our fault. OPEC members blame non-OPEC for the fall in oil price. Oil and the ruble stabilised, but the reckoning is still counted. The S&P closes to near highs after a big three-day rally. And our guests today come from a wide range of the business community. We start with Barry Wood, RTHK's Washington-based international economics correspondent for his usual rundown of global economics. Next up is Michelle Yun, Bloomberg's property reporter, to talk to us about the future of Sun and Kai after the conspiracy convictions. And we've also got Francis Lund to add his views as well. And we finish off with Ben Cavender, China Market Research Group in Shanghai, to talk about China's year. And our guest today is Tobias Hexter, who's senior strategist from True Partner Holding, trader and university professor. Good morning, Tobias. How are you?
3: Good morning, Rich. Very good, thank you. Good. You
2: have a fact for us this morning, I think.
3: Yeah, with all the doom music in the intro, um, I'd like to say the notional amount of derivatives worldwide is at this moment 700 trillion US dollar.
2: That's at 700 trillion. And yeah. we're looking at the size of the US economy being around 16, maybe 17 trillion
3: a year. Yeah, so it's, it's a decently large number. To make it a bit in context, the actual value of the derivatives, so not what their underlying is but the value of the contracts itself is roughly the size of the U.S. economy.
2: Well, basically, hold on to that, uh, listeners. We'll be talking to that a lot in the next uh, few weeks. That's um, Tobias Hexter, who's our guest host today. Overnight, Saudi Arabia and the UAE have blamed the oil price collapse on overproduction outside OPEC. This is despite 4% overproduction coming out of OPEC itself. However, worries about economic weakness spreading as a result of the oil price, which is known in the markets as contagion, seem to have been overdone. Jim Leventhal of Leventhal Asset Management in New York explains why
1: is that particularly crude oil is responding
4: to oversupply as opposed to low demand. Um, The negative reaction over the past few weeks in the stock market has been the perception that the economy globally is slowing much more uh, than people expect. Uh, That's not the case. There's just a lot of oil and there's a lot of commodities. If you look at, for instance, iron ore, there's just a
1: ton of commodities out there, and that's why prices are coming down, not because of slacking economic demand.
2: On Friday, the S&P index ended up half a percent to 2071, which is just a smidge below its all-time high. Last week, the index was up 5.4 percent, and in 2014 as a whole, this year, it's up just over 12 percent. Market observers are now expecting more of the same. Mark Kiesel, who's chief investment officer of, uh, at Pimco, is also positive
1: what we're we're looking at is a fed that that is going to normalize but do it very gradually and you know they they looked at the global uh, factors and basically said that these th- these global factors are not really affecting the u.s. economy as much as some people would have thought the u.s. economy is actually doing quite well and so the reality is this is very good for risk markets and interest rates are low and and oil prices are only going to help the consumer so i think net net That's why the markets are trading uh, positively. So, if you're not in an
2: oil producing nation, things look pretty good. The Euro stocks index of 50 largest companies ended up 2.4% on the week. And in Asia, Shanghai closed up nearly 6% on the week to 3,110. Almost alone in the red zone last week was Hong Kong, which could only produce a fall of half a percent to 23,117. Nevertheless, the fallout from the oil price still remains. On Friday, the 1.4 billion US dollar initial public offering in Hong Kong of Chinese car company Beijing Automotive was pretty muted with the share price ending flat on the day. This followed big share price falls from car companies Geely and BYD last week, also said to be related to the price of the oil price and the collapse of the ruble. Apple General Electric, Renault, among others, have announced restrictions on sales to Russia as they get paid in rubles. And elsewhere in the oil-producing world, the Nigerian Naira hit an all-time low on Friday. The ruble's holding its own at just under 59 to the dollar. Uh, But for Russia, we now hear from Atilia Dand, who's an analyst at Tenio Intelligence, and she says the pressure's not yet over.
0: Well, the sanctions tend to be a little bit more sticky than anybody would imagine uh, at the beginning. Russia would actually need to do a lot to have the sanctions rolled back. In the EU, you would need a consensus of 28 countries, not only, not only France, uh, <laughs> agreeing to, to such a solution. Uh, it is most likely that the moment when the sanctions uh, could be lifted would come with end of July next year, when uh, the sunset clause of the, of, of, of the sanctions kicks in. And then you would need a consensus of 28 EU countries to extend them. So that would be the most likely point, but we would need to see a sustained period of peace in eastern Ukraine and some sort of constructive steps taken by uh, Russia in the next couple of months to make this possible.
2: Over the weekend, the US dollar strengthened across the board. The euro is now at 122. The yen is testing a new level at 119.50, and the pound is last trading at uh, 1.56, or that's 12.1 Hong Kong dollars to the pound. Brent oil is down a touch, as is gold, and the renminbi has come off a little too to trade at uh, 6.12 yen to the dollars. Um, Tamir, just uh, before we go to Barry, um, oil is one of the commodities that's most hedged, and I know you're a hedge kind of guy. Mm. What seems to be happening is that as people have taken their hedges off oil, the transportation companies, the airlines, they've all been hedged into the oil, they've taken them off. Has this pushed the oil price down too far, do you
3: think? Yeah, at this moment, the oil price is very difficult to call. Um, A lot of things are happening, a lot of conspiracy theories are flying around. But if you go back to the hedging uh, proportions, uh, usually airline companies and users hedge their estimated uh, quantities that they would use. So they would just need to roll on the hedges because they are keeping on flying. For them, actually, it has a bright side that they can, for the next hedged periods, they can lock in lower prices. In the end, there's also quite a lot of uh, speculation going on what you see is that uh, accumulated p- long positions in commodities had ri- in crude oil had risen quite a bit so a lot of people were sort of putting their money on rising oil prices that and didn't occur and then they've the all op- been
2: they all been caught short yep. or in fact they've had to buy all that oil back yeah, pushing be- the price down further
3: they're being caught long
2: <laughs> let's go to barry wood who's rthk's international economics correspondent good morning barry good morning richard and now, uh, what's the view on oil there? I, I know we, we've heard a lot about the U.S. And, um, uh, and fracking being hurt and parts of Nebraska being hit, but it still seems to be the fact that most people think falling oil is a good thing.
4: Yes, that's true. I don't think we've reached that point of maximum pain for the domestic oil industry or for those financial people who are looking at the traditional oil majors and uh, worried about the price. I think the trend line continues to be down.
2: And um, uh, generally at the pumps, is are you actually seeing prices come through in lower, lower gas prices?
4: Yes, unlike in airline fares, we're <laughs> seeing it at the pump. I've just driven today, Sunday, back from New York City, and I spent $30 to fill my tank on the New Jersey Turnpike, and uh, last time I went up to New York, I spent 40 So, yes, we're seeing a big drop in prices, and I think they're down about 20% over the last four months.
2: So, you know, with uh, falling gas prices, the jobs figures last week didn't seem to be too bad. Uh, the Fed is looking pretty well at 3% growth for the next year. Americans must be feeling pretty good.
4: I think we're feeling much better this Christmas than we were last or the year before that. And uh, we are seeing volatility in the markets. But I think what Janet Yellen was saying about uh, we'll have patience looking ahead in terms of the interest rate rise. We've seen a big jump in prices Thursday, Friday. We've got a holiday-shortened week. I agree with you. I think we're feeling pretty good and we're optimistic.
2: Excellent. We we like to hear that. Now, I didn't put this in as a news feature. But of course, everyone's been talking about Sony and the Sony hacking uh, over the weekend. Um, I know it's been talked about heavily in the US. But more widely, it must bring in questions about privacy and security. You know, if you think this year, we've had Target hit, we've had eBay hit. Um, my wife, uh, sorry, my daughter keeps telling me she can 't buy an iPhone six because people are hacking into Apple and buying them before her. Um, Go ahead. Are there any further issues coming out about this whole privacy thing because if Sony can be hacked yes. who 's safe
4: Yes well, I think that there 's concern about the future of hacking and uh, the fact that the authorities are uh, behind the curve, and we don 't really have a fix on this. If the North Koreans can hire folks to do it, assuming that's what happened, uh, good heavens, there are lots of people out there who can do much more damage. So I think that there's a scramble going on at some of these security operations, not just here in Washington, but in London and other capitals. This is a huge problem. And it was surprising to me, Richard, to see the president weigh in so strongly on this on Friday in his press conference. He was really going after Sony for saying, you know, you shouldn't give in to this kind of thing because that sets a very dangerous precedent. And now we see Sony backing away and looking for a way to release this controversial
2: movie. It was an extraordinary speech, wasn't it? He said, why didn't they come to me first? Well, presumably, if all companies had a little bit of a problem came to Obama, he'd have no time to do anything else.
4: (laughs) You've got that right. I, I too, took note of that. I mean, uh, what he meant, of course, was, you know, why didn't he contact someone on the staff? But the fact is this, is, this is a corporate matter. No one knew at the time that this was, and we still don't have the evidence as to how the North Koreans are alleged to have done this. But uh, this is a whole new area, and I think it's pertinent that you mention what happened at Target and what's happened at else, uh, other companies. This is something that I fear could get much worse.
2: Well, you have to think that all those privacy statements are on the end of uh, various companies, you know, how much credence can you actually put on them?
4: Well, you do. And look, there, there's there's two sides to this thing, isn't there? First of all, you've got apparent ease of getting into these systems. I mean, this was terribly embarrassing for Sony. <laughs> you know, all of these salaries disclosed. I mean, leave the movie aside. And medical records, Sony too. Absolutely. <laughs> We don't know how this is being done, and we don't know what else is likely to happen. This is a moving thing. Uh, this goes back, I suppose you could make a correlation to uh, the WikiLeaks and back to Ed Snowden. Uh, we're in a world in which uh, cybersecurity is going to be much more important than it was one, two, three years ago.
2: It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's almost warfare by another means.
4: Well, you know that's odd. I I agree. The president, I noticed in that CNN interview that he did on Saturday, said, "Well, this is this is uh, cyber vandalism." I think were his words. But of course, I think uh, he really must think it's much more serious than that. Whether he dismissed the idea that it was terrorism. That's important. Uh, You say cyber warfare. Let's just say it's a very serious problem.
2: Well, Barry, thanks very much for that, and thank you for joining us uh, all year. Hopefully you'll be with us for the last uh, Monday of the year next week. And in the meantime, we wish you a very happy Christmas.
4: Yes, and I wish the same to you and all of the listeners and all of the staff at RTHK. Thank you. Merry Christmas.
2: You too, Barry. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye.
1: If a fire breaks out in your building, stay calm. If you decide to leave, carry your keys, mobile phone, and a towel and use the nearest stairway. If there is smoke in the stairway, use a towel to cover your nose and mouth and try another stairway. If there is also smoke in the other stairway, return to your home immediately. Close the door and seal it with tape and towels and call 999 for help.
2: Well, locally, jury verdicts on Friday in Hong Kong's biggest corruption child found the city's former number two official, Raphael Hui, guilty alongside two senior directors of Sun and Kai properties, Thomas Kwok and Thomas Chan, and a third defendant, Francis Kwan. Immediately, Sun and Kai announced a management reshuffle, elevating Thomas Kwan's 31-year-old son, Adam, to become an executive director and appointing two new deputy managing directors to replace the two convicted. Local listing rules do not require company directors convicted in a court of law to step down. <laughs> but what does it mean for a company that loses its senior leadership so quickly? Well, to help uh, us with this, we have Michelle Yun, who's senior reporter at Bloomberg Asia. Good morning, Michelle. Hi, good morning. Thanks for coming in so close to Christmas. No problem. Um, now, I understand you've been following the case closely, 131 days of closely argued legal uh, technology. What are your thoughts at the end of the trial now as a reporter? Um,
0: well, I guess uh, everyone's been waiting for the verdict. Um, you know, we we're all sitting around the courthouse for five straight days. Um, it's didn't exactly come to me as a huge surprise, um, but what did surprise me was um, there were three charges against Thomas Clock and he was convicted of just um, one of them. And, uh, and, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll have to see what the um, the lawyers will come back to make pleas for mitigation for um, Thomas and the two other defendants, and we'll have to see what the lawyers make of the verdict today.
2: Why were you surprised that uh, only there was only one charge he was convicted on rather than three?
0: Well, the prosecution's case was that these were all part of um, one um, cons- conspiracy to pay um, Rafael Hoy, um, but it seems like it was, um, it was broken down by the jury. They were considering one payment, but then the other one they consider of a different nature. Um, so I guess that's, um, you know, we listen to her prosecution. They sort of all belong to one, um, one purpose for the payments.
2: Now, I've been cutting uh, Sun and Kai Properties' price chart uh, all various ways uh, this morning, and actually the price has done okay. It hasn't really been impacted by that. So what does the verdict actually mean for the business itself?
0: I think it's still early to say. Um, obviously the younger brother, Raymond, he was acquitted, so he's. He's back at the head of the company. Um, And Thomas' younger son has now stepped in. Um, But I I guess I would still expect Raymond to to run the company from now. And if you speak of the performance this year, all property companies in Hong Kong have done very well. They've sold um, most of the new homes they've built. Um, So far, prices haven't dropped despite government curves. Um, So I think it's still early to say what um, Thomas Kwok's uh, departure from the company means.
2: Yes, they have. Well, Michelle, just stay there for a second, because we have in our queensway studio, Francis Lunn, who's uh, mm. Director of GeoSecurities. Securities. Uh, good morning, yeah, good Francis. Good morning. Good morning, Richard. Good, good. Um, Francis, what, is you, what are your thoughts on the whole issue with Sun and Kai property?
5: Well I think I, I, I think the really the big damage is really to the reputation of Hong Kong as a whole when you have a senior official on the tech and that really destroy the clean image that Hong Kong has built over the years since the establishment of ICAC. So uh if you have number two on the tech then the whole system is corrupt.
2: But if you take the argument the other way, we could say that the fact that Hong Kong was able to uh, investigate this, bring people to trial, secure convictions, isn't that a positive thing?
5: Well, that brings you to the same level as mainland China. I don't think that is an, an, an accomplishment. I think that is a shame, really. Well, um, no, on the, other,
2: on the other side, you may say it's not because, you know, we have brought people, we have led uh, very senior people to, to be convicted. And well, well,
5: well you have to look at the circumstance. Uh, had an insider not spilled the beans... Uh, the whole thing would be would have been hushed up for years. So I know that's another comment. I, I'm I'm dying to uh, hear it.
2: Tobias, <laughs> uh, you've got a question.
3: Yeah, I was wondering to both uh, of you, please. Um, given that in the city, uh, property development rules supreme, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Um, they would rule there us. Would there be any chance that this could actually be just the tip of the iceberg?
5: Definitely. I, I actually i've i've known other cases that have been hushed up for many many years but uh well they've never brought to the day of light Um, the light of day i mean
2: (laughs) michelle you're still there hopefully what what are your thoughts about the case do you think it's good for hong kong or or not so good for hong kong um i
0: think it's double-edged sword right it's it's good that the, it's good image for the ICAC, um, which has endured some image, um tarnishing recently. Um, and the fact that they were able to bring this to trial and then at least, some um, uh, achieve, uh, conviction on some charges. And, you know, they put out a statement last week saying that they, now they shows that they have power to charge a, a person regardless of their background. So it's good for them. But, yes, I mean, I think Francis is right. It's, um it, uh, it does, sort of raise the question saying what else is there in the sector and there's moral hazard if you're a property developer um, your business is very closely correlated with government policies
2: and where do you think the property these property stocks these property companies are likely to go next year michelle
0: (laughs) it depends when you think the u.s will raise interest rates i think i think that's a very important question
2: and Francis, you're an expert on the property sector.
5: <laughs> well, I, I I think the property stocks will go nowhere as they as they have done this year because uh, 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 there is so much uh, public pressure on on the property market, on property prices. There is too much government interference, actually. The uh, government and the developers cannot have their way, and they cannot have the cake at 82. They already charge the most outrageous prices for properties in the world. There's no way that property prices can go up. And, and but so actually,
2: couldn't share prices go up? You know, there's an argument to say that because we've seen, well, we've seen about 45% or something in Shanghai, mm.
5: um,
2: Hong Kong's been dismal this year, almost flat. Yeah. Isn't there room for Hong Kong to catch up and therefore we'll see the property stocks too?
5: Well, the, the problem in Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong stock market this month is that the big boys, the institutions, are selling Hong Kong short. Ever since December 1st, where, where, where the short selling accounted for 30% of the market. So I, think, I, 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 I don't think the Hong Kong market can rise.
2: <laughs> uh, Michelle, will you be going uh, back to the court for the last time today?
1: Um,
0: I will probably drop by today and tomorrow. It depends when the judge uh, decides the sentencing uh, for the, the convicted. It could be today or tomorrow or even
2: run into Wednesday. Right, okay. Well, just like to say, Michelle, thank you very much for coming in and I wish you a very good Christmas. That's Michelle Yoon, who's a reporter on Bloomberg, and we'll look forward to some of your articles coming out on this. And uh, also our thanks to Francis Loon, who is a director at GeoSecurities. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Right, well, China's economy this year seems to be following the path of many other nations. A steady flow of poor economic news, followed by indications that the government will intervene to support growth, leading to a big jump in the stock market. So far this year, Shanghai's up 47% and almost all of it since July. So to see how we should interpret this confused picture for 2015, we've got Ben Kavanagh on the line. Uh, ben is senior analyst with China Market Research Group in Shanghai. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Well, you've been writing quite a bit, uh, your firm, on China this year. Uh, how do you clear up this rather confused view of weak economy, strong stock market?
5: Well,
1: I think uh, part of the issue with the strong stock market is we've, we've just had so many years of poor performance with the market that it's sort of been kind of due time for uh, stocks to start taking off. I think another side of things is, if you look at what consumers are doing with their money, uh, traditionally, they haven't really had a lot of options for where to invest. Uh, it was really real estate for years and years and years. Um, as real estate performance has kind of come down a little bit, they've been looking for alternatives. One of those main alternatives has really been um, putting that money in stocks.
2: But, you know, I, I, I hear this, but that alternative has always been there, of course. It's just that in china people still follow the herd don't they it was a case of oh we've got to go into property but we're not going to go into the stock market because it's not going to move as indeed it didn't and all of a sudden we've almost got the reverse but those assets have still been there but china still seems to have this herd mentality doesn't it
1: it does that's certainly the case i think we saw that with real estate for a very long time i think now that we're seeing sort of sustained periods of time where housing prices in a lot of cities have kind of been going down rather than going up. Uh, That's been one thing that sort of caused the group to sort of shift where they're putting their money. I think also with uh, cross-border investment uh, opening up a little bit and seeing some investors coming from Hong Kong, I think people are betting that maybe long term this is going to bolster the performance of the stock market as well.
2: And sitting in Chi- in Shanghai, uh, obviously, we've had a big flurry this month with oil and Russia, too, with which China has um, some quite significant economic relations. What's the, the buzz you're getting on the street there in terms of the whole Russian ruble weakening, the oil price weakening? Well, what's the sense that people are, have got there?
1: Well, I, I think sort of from an overall economy standpoint, this is something that probably Chinese firms are taking as a net positive because it's going to hopefully make them a bit more competitive than they have been uh, in some areas where they've been getting hurt a little bit. So on the manufacturing side, for example, it gives uh, companies a little bit more room to work with if the oil prices that they're paying domestically do come down. I think on the other side of things, what's really interesting is if you look at the consumer, um, they've actually been really trying to take advantage of arbitrage and actually uh, take advantage of the lower prices in Russia to buy up products and get them shipped back to China as quickly as possible um, before those products get taken off the
3: shelves. Uh, Tobias, you've got a question. Yeah, I was wondering about this massive rise in China. To what extent could it be orchestrated by the government, given that it very conveniently put all those trust products that were written on stock markets back into more feasible or even black numbers again?
1: I mean, I think uh, on some level, it's possible that the government you know, is pushing for the, the stock market to increase in value uh, just because it sends a message that they'd like to send. But I think ultimately, um, people have been leery and institutional investors have been leery for a really long time of the kind of performance they were going to get out of the market. Um, so I, I guess I'm not convinced that they would be willing to invest if there wasn't at least some bet or some hope that long-term they were going to get a good bull run
2: out of it. One more question. Uh, I think we'll have to hold for time there. Uh, ben, I'd just like to say thank you very much uh, for uh, speaking to us. Uh, hopefully we'll speak to you next year. That's uh, Ben Cavender of China Market Research Group in Shanghai. And Tobias, I know you're, you're about to leap in there, but could you give us maybe 20
3: seconds? What's your big theme for 2015? Um, The big theme will be the return of volatility, and the reason for that is all the pictures we've had up until now were central banks suppressing movement in order to establish growth, and the Fed was pretty good at that. Uh, On the other hand, the Japanese central bank, the European central bank, and now the Chinese are a bit more crude in that, so their actions will actually lead to, could be positive, could be negative, but moving it will.
2: Ah, I see. So you're a volatility man, I know, yep. uh, as you're a trader. OK, thank you very much. That's Tobias Hexter of... Um uh, of true partner holding uh, just the f- finally the figures for today the markets that are open um, they're slightly up we're looking at uh, australia actually is up one percent at 5364 Nikkei's up a touch at seventeen thousand six hundred forty-eight, and seoul is flat at 1929 well thank you very much for joining us on money for nothing today it's christmas week and last chance to buy those presents have a very good day <laughs> And just before we go, we have the weather, uh, which is, it will be fine. It'll cold in the morning, very dry during the day, with maximum temperatures of around 16 degrees. Moderate fresh uh, to north to north winds. The outlook will be sunny periods, with temperatures rising in the next couple of days. And now the news, read by Todd Harding.
0: Labor Department officers will visit ATV today to speak to its employees about their rights and the assistance they can get while seeking their unpaid wages from the insolvent broadcaster. ATV now owes its staff some $15 million. Janice Wong reports.
2: Secretary for Labor Matthew Chang says the government has sent a warning letter to the cash-drapped free-to-air broadcaster demanding it to pay its 800 staff members their November wages as soon as possible. It was also more than 20 days late in paying September wages. Under the employment ordinance, companies must pay their employees within seven days of the expiry of the wage period. And Mr Chung said over the weekend that the government was considering whether or not to prosecute ATV. Insiders have said that the station's news department may cease operating at the end of this month if the company fails to pay staff. That would put it immediately in breach of its licensing conditions, hastening the end of the station. ATV's TV license expires
0: next November, and many are now calling for it not to be renewed. President Obama says his administration is going to review whether to restore North Korea to its list of state sponsors of terrorism after blaming Pyongyang for a cyber attack on the U.S. firm Sony Pictures Entertainment. In an interview with CNN, Mr. Obama said he would implement a suitable response to the hacking.
2: I don't think it was an act
4: of war. I think it was an act of cyber management.